I want to say good morning uh, to you all. So good to see you on this day. If you're visiting with us, I just want to say welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm so glad you decided to worship with us this morning. I also want to uh, give a shout out to all the fathers out there. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all of you. Uh, I can say that this is my first official Father's Day, and it is like this really cool feeling. My son has this onesie on. Oh, thank you. Got my cheering section. And uh, my, my son has this really cute onesie, um, and it says, uh, this is my daddy's first Father's Day. And he's really adorable, I know. Um, and, uh, but, but I do get to celebrate. And so um, one of the things that I'm learning as being a dad um, is that I'm continuing to, to grow in this, but I'm also realizing more and more the importance and the weight that falls on the shoulders of fathers. And so for those who are here, I want to say thank you. Um, being a dad is not an easy task. It takes perseverance. It takes patience. Um, and it takes a lot of hard work. And so I want to say thank you to all the dads out there. Um, I really appreciate you and admire you. And I hope that I can be the dad that, that you are to your kids. So, yeah, with that, I want to say thank you. So my kid, uh, Christian, who's eight months old, is probably the most thoughtful baby uh, that has ever lived because he got me a shirt for Father's Day. And it's like the Superman logo, except it has the letter D in the middle, and it, under it says Super Dad. And uh, my son's very thoughtful. My wife had nothing to do with that purchase. Uh, my son bought it. But anyway, so uh, that, that, it's now one of my favorite shirts. Like, I just got it this past Saturday, and it's like, Man, it's like now my favorite shirt because it represents something that I'm proud to be, and I'm proud to be a dad. And so with that, on the topic of t-shirts, I'm wearing this t-shirt, and it says, I am created for a purpose. This past week, uh, there was about 50 of us who went to Centrikid. Uh, there was, uh, let's see, there was about 50 of us, and we stayed Monday through Friday, and it was just tons of fun. You'll see some of them got their, their blue t-shirts on. We got a couple over here. Uh, we had several in the first service, but it was such a fun trip. Now, if you're wondering what Centrikid is, Centrikid is a camp for grades third through fifth grade uh, to go and have a good time and play for an entire week, but also hear the gospel pretty much all day, every day. Everything that they're doing, they're getting fed the gospel, and it is such an amazing, amazing experience. And with that, one of our very own uh, this week uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ at Centrikid, and so as a church, we need to say amen to that. That, yes, yes. It is so good to see the work of God being used at these camps, and if we took, we took 50 people and one of them got saved, then let me tell you, every second there was worth it, period. It was so much fun. So, so I got this shirt, I'm created for a purpose. The, the, the theme of the week at Centrikid was blueprint create, created for a purpose. And so it goes right along with the new sermon series that we're going to be diving into over these next couple weeks. The sermon series is called Anthropology. Everybody say Anthropology. Yes. And today, specifically, we will be talking about the Imago Dei. Everybody say Imago Dei. Yes, the Imago Dei is Latin for the image of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be in Genesis 1. If you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1. If you're not sure where Genesis is, it's the very first page of your Bible. You can't miss it. The very first one. You do not have to go to the table of contents. It is the very first one. So, but I want to start by addressing the word anthropology. Some of you may not be familiar with this word, anthropos, in the Greek. 
means man. So anthropology is the study of man. Anthropology is the study of man. This is not a new concept by any stretch of the imagination. Anthropology has been a topic of debate for centuries. And it is one that continues today. The study of man is something that we see everywhere. When you watch a movie or a play, you are being shown an understanding of why it is that humans do certain things. If you've ever been watching a movie and you just thought to yourself, why on earth did they make that choice? That's because there's, there's an anthropo- anthropological, if that's how you say it, uh, the, the thing that's sh- it's showing you why man would do something like that. Why would they would do that? If you listen to a song or, or you read a book, you see that humans make choices based on their circumstances or their personality. Constantly, the study of man is being shaped, not necessarily intellectually, but informally, in the context that's surrounding you. And what you're feeding yourself, you're seeing uh, what is man happening all around you. Why would they make certain decisions? So my goal this morning is to walk you through very briefly a couple of different types of anthropology as well as give us a biblical view of what it means to be made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. But I must give you fair warning that this topic is not shallow by any stretch of the imagination. Anthropology is a very deep philosophical topic. So if you're in here and you take notes, it's about time to, to take some notes. You're going to pull your pen out and take some notes here. If you are not a note taker, you're still probably one going to take some notes this morning. All right, so uh, there are a couple of different types of anthropologies. One of them is idealistic anthropology. Idealistic. This considers the human being to be basically spirit, his physical body foreign to his real nature. Plato was a huge advocate of this, and he would say that what is real about man is his or her intellect or reason, which is a spark of the divine within the person that continues to exist after a person dies. The human body is made of matter, which is a lower order of reality. The human body is seen as a hindrance to the spirit, and one is better off without it. Those who hold to this view teach the immortality of the soul but deny the resurrection of the body. Another view of anthropology is materialistic. Materialistic holds uh, that man is simply a product of nature. Humans are part of social structure. Evil arises from that structure and can be eliminated only by changes in the structure. The individual is not primarily responsible for the evil that he or she does, but society is. These are two different types of anthropologies. And both of these examples fall terribly short of the truth that rests in Scripture. Since since each of these views uh, considers man uh, only one aspect of the human being to be ultimate, apart from any dependence on or responsibility to God the Creator, each of these anthropologies are guilty of idolatry. As we are about to dive deep into the biblical model of what it means to be made in the Imago Dei, we must understand, listen, we must understand that the most important thing about man is that he is inescapably related to God. And any anthropology that denies that relationship should be deemed deficient. We must understand that the most important thing about man is that he is inescapably related to God 
And any anthropology that denies that relationship should be deemed deficient. Now, as image bearers, we are made to reflect and represent God. As image bearers, we are made to reflect and represent God. Genesis chapter 1 gives us an amazing view of the account of creation. It shows us the beauty of God deciding to create everything. With his mere voice, he created everything that we see today. Just a word spoken and there is life. The six days of creation in which God created and then looked at it and created and finally say, it is good. But when we get to the sixth day, things change a little bit. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 or 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which brings us to our first truth this morning. And by, uh, by recommendation, by the sound booth, I'm going to bring it back. So I need everyone to say, truth number one. Truth number one. Gino, you're the man, you know that? You're better than the entire first service. Okay, so truth number one is that we reflect God. Truth number one is that we reflect God. Now in this passage... There are several things different about God's creation of man than his creation of everything else. First off, this is the first time we see divine deliberation. This is the first time we see God saying, let us make. Every every part of creation that was made before this, God said, let there be. And then so on and so forth. This is the first time we see divine deliberation. God saying, let us make man in our image. Now there are several different theories about what what God was meaning. There are some who would say that God was speaking to the angels at this point. But that that argument actually falls short because there's nowhere else in scripture that would say that man was made in the image of the angels. As a matter of fact, the angels were part of creation themselves. The only valid explanation to this is that God was speaking to the Godhead, the Trinity. Speaking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit as they are the only ones to carry the divinity to be made in their image. Now in the early church, there was debate over whether there is a difference between the word image and likeness. But we see in scripture these two words are used synonymously. So if you're going to go from here and you're going to do some, some in-depth study on, on Genesis 1, which you should, you should go do that, absolutely. I'm just going to tell you to not spend too much time trying to differentiate these two words because they are used synonymously together to prove one point, that we are created to reflect God. They're used interchangeably all throughout Scripture. The creation of man was the first creation that was extremely personal for God. This part of creation was meant to be created in his image and to rule over the rest of creation. It does not say that the animals are created in his image. It does not say that the birds of the heavens were created in his image. It does not say that the fish of the sea were created in his image. It says that man was created in God's image, the part of creation that reflects the creator. What is it that we reflect? Well, we have the structure of man. It consists of the gifts that we've been given, 
our capacities and our endowments. We reflect God based on what we can do, our moral compass, our intellect, our ability to empathize. These were given to us by the creator and when we use them, we reflect him. So I have a picture on the screen. Uh, This is my dad holding my son Christian. Everybody say, aw, yes. This is my dad holding my son Christian. Um, Love both these two men. These are the two most important men in my life, which is my dad and my son Christian. Um, So my dad and I have always looked alike. As a matter of fact, in Tennessee, where I'm from, uh, we would say he's a spitting image of him. I don't know if y'all have heard that before, but I've always been known that I'm a spitting image of my dad. So we've always looked alike. As a matter of fact, I can't even make this up. For years and years and years, people thought we were brothers. Legit. Like there was a guy on the baseball team who really thought we were brothers until I was like a senior in high school and I told him he's not my brother, he's my dad. And it blew him away. We looked a lot alike. But there are a lot of traits that my dad and I share and there are traits that we don't share. Uh, One of the traits uh, that we do share is my dad is really good at fixing things. He's just handy. He just can fix certain things. That's something that I inherited. I can honestly say I'm pretty good at fixing things. I see a problem, I know how to solve it. That's something I got from him. Now, my dad is extremely musically talented. He could play any instrument. This guy's the man at that. I did not inherit that. I can play a little bit of drums, but that's like where it stops. I'm not as musically talented as he is. Now, we both are avid sports fans. My dad didn't play as much sports as I did growing up, but he can, he can strategize uh, on the field. He can, he can dissect a play and tell you what's going to happen before it's over. My dad has that kind of mindset. That's one thing that I did get from him. Now, one thing that you all know about me is that I'm an extreme extrovert. I love being around people. It fuels me. It, it, just, it just invigorates me, something fierce. I love being around people. I love talking, and I'm a pain in the office most of the time because of that. Honestly, my dad, though, is the most introverted human being I've ever met in my entire life. If this man could live the rest of his life and not see or talk to another person, he would be fine. It might even be on his bucket list. I'm like, and you laugh. I can't even over-exaggerate how introverted this man is. This man doesn't even go to his own birthday party. Like, I'm dead serious. He does not like being around people. We are very opposite in that area. And so my son Christian, as he grows up, we're going to notice that there's going to be attributes about him that he gets from me, and there's going to be attributes that he doesn't. And so without going into too deep of theological detail of the entire list of things that we get from God, we need to know this. There are things that we get from God. Those are called communicable attributes. And there are things that we don't get from God. And those are called incommunicable attributes that God has. But our goal is to reflect God. And we see this if we jump over to Genesis 5-3, just a couple pages over, talking about Adam It says, when he had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So we see the same vocabulary in Genesis 5 as we do in Genesis 1. This passage does not say that Seth was made in the image of God, but in the image of Adam. But what we must infer from this is that the image of God is passed down from generation to generation. Yes, we look like our dads. Yes, sometimes we act like our dads. However, the genealogy goes all the way back to the first man, Adam, who was directly made of dust and breathed life into by the creator himself, given the task of being made in his image. And guess what? You carry that too. 
You are made in the image of God. You carry the Imago Dei. You do. Everyone sitting in this room does. We're to reflect God. Another part of reflecting God is rulership. God clearly gives man and woman the task of having dominion over the earth. It is striking that God gives jurisdiction to one of his creatures since the major tenet of chapters 1 and 2 is God's sovereignty through his spoken word. Why on earth would God give the task of ruling the earth and everything on it to the creature who would eventually fail? The enormity of this task can be found in the truth that the task is extremely important. Reflecting God isn't a small endeavor that can be just ignored because it's inconvenient. Being made in the Imago Dei should be something that we are reminded of each and every day. You see, we are made to reflect God. No higher honor could have been given to man than the privilege of being an image of the God who made him. Now, in Exodus 20, we see the Ten Commandments. That's that's where we find the Ten Commandments. Now, in the Ten Commandments, one of them is do not make any graven image. Anthony uh, Hokema, who, is, who, who wrote the book, Created in God's Image, is an amazing book. And this is a book you should definitely go read. This is what he says. God does not want his creatures to make images of him since he has already created an image of himself, a living, walking, talking image. If you wish to see what I am like, God is saying, look at my most distinguished creature, man. See, oftentimes we look at that commandment and we think we shouldn't make an idol or something that would represent something other than God. God had already given the command, do not have any gods before me. So he is saying, do not make an image of me, for I have already made an image of me, and that's you. That's who you are. Reflect me. Don't make something else. It's what I made you for. And with that, we have... We have a purpose. So imagine a hammer with me for a second. Now, can someone tell me what a hammer does? What's that? It what? Smashes stuff. She's right. It smashes things. Right? So a hammer hammers nails into something. It has, it has a given function. It has a specific purpose. It, it has the flat face on one side that you can hammer nails down with, and then it has the prongs on the other side that you can that you can pull nails out with. A hammer has a specific function, and so do we. And see, more and more we have seen that our culture devalues humanity. More and more we see that every day. So if you're a student in the room, if you're, if you're a kid, if you're a youth, if you're a college student, I want you to tune in for a second. I want you to hear this. Let no one devalue who you are. You are created in the image of God. If anyone dare tell you you are not, you can tell them to go to Genesis 1.27, and in one verse, we see three times that it says that God created man. One verse, three times, Genesis 1.27. If anyone dare try to tell you that you are not of value, then you tell them to go look at Genesis 1.27. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, the only person to give you value is God himself. He created you and made you beautiful. Now adults in the room, mothers, 
fathers, grandparents, you are God's workmanship and you have been created for a purpose. And you bear the Imago Dei. This is not an easy task. You are to reflect God in your everyday life, and that includes your family. Your spouse, your children need to see the reflection of God in you. BC, not only do we reflect God, but we, but we represent God. Everybody say truth number two. Truth number two. We represent God. See, God gives here a mandate to rule over the earth as well as what God has provided for man and woman to live and thrive. So in verse 31, we see something that we don't see anywhere else in the creation, of count, in the creation account. Genesis 1.31 says this, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. For the first time, we see that what God had made was not just good, but it in fact was very good. You see, there was nothing that could be not good in all of creation. No struggle for existence, no disease, no pollution, no physical calamities, no imbalance or lack of harmony, no disorder, no sin, and above all, no death. But it was at the creation of man when God said it is very good. If we look at Genesis 3, though, we see the perfect created order was marred. Adam and Eve were in the garden with one prohibition, do not eat of that tree. And we know in the account that they do. Thus the weight of sin and death rippled throughout all of creation. Even after the fall though, we see that man still bears the image of God. Genesis 9, 6 says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. You see, knowing that we are made in the image of God is that we recognize the pain of taking away life that was made in his image. James 3, 9 says this, talking about our tongues. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You see, when we slander, we are actually defacing the image of God. The image of God has not gone away because of sin, but it is, in fact, distorted because of sin. We are less fully like God than we were before the entrance of sin. We are made to represent God. This includes the functioning of man, our actions, our relationship with God and others, and the way we use our gifts. All of these are included in the process of representing God. Hokema also says in this in his book, fallen human beings still possess the gifts and capacities with which God has endowed them, but they now use these gifts in sinful and disobedient ways. You see, because of sin, our understanding of truth is distorted. Hence, we have several different theories of anthropology, all of which leading us away from the Creator. Our understanding of truth is distorted. Our, our understanding of value is distorted. The continued wave of devaluing human life is an epidemic in our society. But you see, as God's representatives, we should support and defend what God stands for, and we should promote what God promotes. As God's representatives, we must not do what we like, but what God desires. Colossians 1.15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. This passage is giving us a description of Jesus. Now listen, even before the fall, the Genesis account prepares us for the role Jesus Christ would play in God's plan of salvation. Now the figure of Adam at the dawn of human history reminds us that God deals with mankind personally. Adam served as the representative man. Christ came as the second Adam, as we see in Romans 5, not as a divine afterthought, but as the one chosen from the foundation of the world to manifest all that the divine image in man may mean. You see, it was, it was Adam who was given the role of ruling over creation in the beginning, but it is Jesus who reigns in heaven over all creation. It was Adam in the garden who was tempted by Satan and failed, and it was Jesus who was in the wilderness, also finding himself being tempted by Jesus, but withstanding the temptation by the authority of God's word. You see, it was Adam who was part of creation, who thought that if he ate the fruit, he would become divine like God, and it was Jesus who was divine in himself, who humbled himself to come in human form to face the broken, sinful world. It was through Adam that the human race first understood the pain of being separated from the Father, and it was Jesus who, through his death on the cross, brought reconciliation back to the Father. Do not tell me that you cannot find the gospel in the Old Testament. We cannot look at Genesis 1, 26-31 without viewing it through the prism of human sin, both in its beginning in the garden and its consequences for human life and humanity's relationship to creation. Theologically, it is essential for interpreting the Christian faith with its proclamation regarding human life, the universal sinfulness of mankind, and the sole resolution of sin through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now what? Well, if you're in this room right now and you are a believer of Jesus Christ, then you have been forgiven. Your sins have been washed white as snow. However, you aren't perfect. The image of God is still marred because of sin. And the process you find yourself in is called sanctification. This is the process of growing into the image of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." The act of sanctification is a process brought by the Holy Spirit. You see, we are to be active and responsible in it, but the transformation occurs by the Holy Spirit. This is how we see the Trinity still at work in, in, in making us into the image of God. You see, it didn't end in Genesis 1 when, when God said, let us make man in our image, and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit just agreed and let him do his thing. All three are still active. It was God who created you in his own image. And it was Jesus who brought salvation to you and it became the goal of what it should look like to live in the image of God. And it is through sanctification that the Holy Spirit is continually transforming your heart into being like Jesus Christ. All three parts of the Trinity are very active in this process still to this day. It didn't end in Genesis 1. If you are in here and you are not a believer, you need to know that you were made in the image of God. Your gifts, your, your talents, your intellect, all of it points back to the creator. But maybe you're in a place of searching right now. You're, you're in a place where you don't know where you fit in. 
Genesis 1 tells you. But maybe you're in here and you're, and you're just rebelling and you're mad at God. And you don't want to come back. Well, Luke 15 speaks into that. There was, a, there was a father who had two sons. The youngest son wanted his inheritance and he wanted it now. So the father, being a loving father, gives it to him and the youngest son runs off. Goes and spends every dime that he has. Finds himself, after it's all spent, eating with the pigs, living in slop, rock bottom, had nowhere else to turn. And so he thought, well, I know if I go home, maybe dad will let me be a servant. I know that at least then I'll be fed. I'll have a roof over my head. So as he's going back to his father's house, he, he's rehearsing what he's going to say. Father, I've failed you. I've disappointed you. I know you're angry at me. But please let me come back and please let me be your servant. I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you want. And as he's on his way, what he does not come home to is an angry father. As a matter of fact, the, the account in Luke 15 says that the father was waiting. He was standing out front watching. And when he saw his son in the distance, he didn't say, come here. He didn't stand there while his son made the entire trip back to him. It says that he left his house. He ran to his son. And instead of punishing him, instead of slapping him on the wrist, he embraced him. And he said, welcome home. So if you're in a place where you're far off and you're afraid that God is going to smite you, that's not the God that it talks about in Luke 15. That's not the God that it talks about in Genesis 1 that made you in his image. He's waiting. He's watching. And he wants you to come home. You are created in God's image. You carry the Imago Dei and don't let anybody tell you any different. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. We just, we just love you. God, we sit here on this Father's Day and we, and we are reminded about a loving, caring, compassionate Father that you are. Lord, you made us in your image and we messed it up. Sin entered the world and distorted that image. And in spite of our error, you provided a solution. And you sent Jesus to die on the cross, a death that we fully deserved because you loved us not because you're angry at us. Father, you hate sin so much, but you love your children. Lord, help us go from here 
to live in the Imago Dei, to live a life that would reflect you and represent you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.